Well, welcome to another episode of Off the Record, a candid, casual conversation about life, culture, and church. And uh, today we are finishing up our series on the book of Revelation, and we're going to talk a little bit about these last two chapters, the wonderful promise of heaven and the new Jerusalem. And it helped me have this conversation. I'm so blessed and uh, so grateful today to have uh, Dr. John Stumbo with us. And uh, Dr. Stumble's president of our Christian Missionary Alliance and has graciously uh, given up some of his time. So John, thanks today for coming and helping me a little bit with this conversation. I always enjoy our connections, Brian, but we've not sat together in a studio like this. So this is a new day, but uh, we're excited for it. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the last part of this journey and uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. And we've been over on this as a church family over these last really eight weeks, uh, kind of from start to finish. And uh, so we want to talk about the exciting part about how this ends this part of the story as we wrap it up. And I think the challenge that we've experienced all throughout this series has really been, again, to try to understand what God meant for us in these things, how our little finite minds can wrap themselves around these amazingly heavenly global perspectives and thoughts. And uh, I'm so reminded, you'll see us, Lewis, who once said, you know, talking about heaven is like two infants in the womb talking about what life is going to be like once they're born 25 years later, right? It's it's so limited, and what we think we're understanding, it's going to be even greater than what we can ever imagine. And uh, so that's where we're heading today to have that that conversation. And um, You've got this picture now in my head, Brian, of you and I being in the womb here. That's kind of freaking me out right now, but that's good. <laughs> well, well, I'll join you in the womb of mystery as we talk about heaven. It's a mystery as we roll it. And, you know, as we think about heaven, I, I'm reminded of... I think where the Lord starts us off with the revelations, you know, in chapter 21 and verse four, and he makes this wonderful promise that he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And what a beautiful contrast for where we have been the last two weeks talking about the end of the earth and the end of the world and the battle of Armageddon and and the pain and the loss and the despair that is so prevalent in this fallen and broken world. And now we get to experience something brand new, the joys of heaven. As you think about that idea of just the, the lack of no more pain, no more sorrow, what for you, what does that kind of hope mean to you? Brian, there's this sad picture by so many on this planet that we're just spinning purposeless, purpose, purpose. I can't say that word, Brian, uh, without purpose. There we go. We're just spinning and spinning and that it's going to end with some comet hitting the earth or the sun running out of fuel and maybe we can repopulate on some other planet somewhere. But it's this dismal doomsday scenario, unless you have faith in the living God who had a plan from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And his plan was that he would live with the people he created and that they would live with him. Well, so he created this perfect world called planet Earth, Garden of Eden form, pre-sin, pre-fall, pre-brokenness. And we had a season, we don't know how long it was, but where Adam and Eve and God lived in that kind of way and took walks together and had, without shame or any guilt or any awkwardness relationship, and then 
we rolled out the red carpet to sin and invited in all sorts of disease and brokenness and betrayal and all the problems that we have in our world. And yet God still showed up that day to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, wanting to find, not find the way, but show the way for us to have relationship with him. And so it becomes a theme all the way through the scriptures of the fact that God wants to be with his people. The new covenant in Jeremiah is, is that I'll make this new covenant and I will be their God and they will be my people. He wants to be with us. And so when the next verse says, and now the dwelling of God is with men or with people, there is this culmination. So it's what God's had in mind all along. I think some people, Brian, kind of have this picture of heaven as being the afterthought, the P.S. But no, no, no. It's been the storyline the whole time that God wants to live with us. Live with his people. I think that's such a beautiful picture. It really is that, isn't it? Genesis. It's that intimacy of the garden. And now we're experiencing the intimacy in this heavenly city. And some of the same elements we see uh, in the book of Revelation from the garden are present in heaven. Yes. You know? And where God ties these two things together. And I think that's such a beautiful perspective of, uh, again, our, our heavenly father who is so relationally wants what's best for us once that intimacy of just walking in, in purity together. And uh, I think we'll see that throughout, even as we look at the book of Revelation again. There's so many questions that we have. Well, what's this going to be like? And at those times when we can't really answer the question or fill in all the details of the blank, we, we rest back on that wonderful truth that our, we have a good, good father who created us for relationship and created us for the beauty of these things and put within us his desires. And so he's the one that can fulfill them to the greatest, greatest level possible. So I love where you're going with that because so often we start where you started with there will be no longer any brokenness, pain, etc. But it's not just the absence of the negative, it's the presence of the positive. So I love the idea that relationally there will never again be embarrassment. There will never be awkwardness. There will never be the, ooh, I feel really weird. I don't know what to say. There will never be that moment where I know I know his name, but I can't remember it. There will never be those kind of awkward relational moments. But on the positive side, there will be like full freedom to be who God designed us to be. And Lewis was the one who said, if you, you've never met a mere mortal, that if you saw somebody in their eternal form, whether the damnation form or the heavenly form, you would fear them or be tempted to worship them. Because when, when we get to experience all that God designed for us to be without limitation, physically, emotionally, relationally, mentally, without our limitations, uh, we were made in his image and will finally reflect his image flawlessly. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's so good. It's not the absence of, but it is the presence of so much more. And I think so many times we look at the book of Revelation, some of that wording is is worded in the negative, only to remind us it's not that. I can't explain to you what it will be, but I'm telling you, it is more than just that. And that's, talk a little bit about who our Heavenly Father is, this creative creator mm. who's putting all this in place for so us. So back to Genesis, you know, God spoke this world into existence, and we love... Uh, the mystery of some of that story and the beauty of that story. Well, when you hit Revelation 21, what is it? Somewhere in Revelation 21, verse 5, he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. 
present tense in the Greek, meaning not just a, okay, you guys really messed up earth, and so we had to, you know, do a do-over. Uh, no, it's, it's a continual renewal, a continually remaking. There is this idea that our God is creative, he is a creative being, and creative beings must create. Songwriters write songs, even if they're not trying to write songs, and artists just have to express themselves with, with some beautiful manner, and God is a creator, and so he will be recreating for all eternity, I believe. What's the creator up to next? Part of the beauty, part of the excitement, part of the mystery of heaven will be the wonder of Never getting bored with anything. Never being bored because there will be a continual newness and a continual childlikeness. G.K. Chesterton was the one who said that it is we who have grown old. We get bored with, you know, whatever it is on planet Earth. But a child says, do it again, do it again. Our God is eternally childlike and says to the sunrise, do it again, and says to the daisy blooming, do it again with that childlike excitement, and we too then will share in the image. It is a sign of our fallenness that we grow weary of seeing the same thing over and over when it's beautiful and when it's engaging, but there will be none of that in heaven. So this continual mystery of what's he got next. That is so good, because it really is a byproduct of sin, Sin, we get bored of sin. We need something more. And in the absence of sin, we have this creative play, things that God has placed in us. So you use the bored word, and I know that's one of the main questions that comes Quite, in. Yes, one Any, I get bored. Anytime you talk about heaven, people are, and frankly, I worried about that a lot as a young person. Here's why. I grew up in the church. I write about this in a book called A Stained Beauty when I'm writing about Revelation, uh, that, that I grew up in the church where we would have these song fests. Uh, a guy would stand up in front, the organ on one side, piano on the other side, and the guy would stand up waving his hand in the middle with a hymnal, and we'd sing for an entire service, a whole hour, and we'd flip, you know, page, you know, hymn number 263, standing on the promises, and on we, on we would go, and we had to stand for most of them, and here I'm, I'm nine, you know, and then 12, and then 16, we, we did these things all the time, so, so, and there would invariably be the moment. When the song leader, halfway through the service, trying to inspire us to sing a little louder, would, would say, and won't it be wonderful when we get to do this for all eternity? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I really am not excited about the alternative to heaven, but uh, this doesn't sound all that great to me just to have a perpetual hymn fest you know, for all eternity. So, so the idea of being bored concerned me. Then I ran across Psalm 1611. In his presence is fullness of joy. Now think about that. In his presence is fullness of joy. The epicenter of joy in the universe is the throne of God. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to joy essence, the, the experience of joy. 
right? It is technically impossible, practically impossible to be bored and joyful at the same time. Uh, we're we're, we're going to have so much to do and so much to experience and so much wonder and so much joy that um, no, boredom's not going to be the issue. Yeah, I think that is probably similar to you, probably the question I get the most often. Won't we be bored? Am I just going to learn to play the harp? And I'm reminded all the way back, there's an old Far Side uh, cartoon with a little guy sitting on a harp. He had his little halo with the little wire up in the back and his little wings on playing his harp. And, the, and uh, then a little caption underneath is, I'm so glad I brought my magazine. You know, it was idea that I was so bored already with a heart playing, at least I had a magazine. And I think you're so right. It was uh, Ray Steadman who once said, you know, every moment of eternity will be an adventure of discovery. Mm. It's this creative God who put this in us and, uh, and knows the reason we love these kind of things is because God put that in it because it's a part of his character. And so I think that's such a great reminder Again, we're like infants who are missing what really is about to happen. Now, don't be mistaken. I am excited about the worship of heaven as well. Because when you think about the worship, including every tribe and language and people, I can't prove it, but one of my theories is that we all don't just become monolingual in heaven. The, the Hispanics always claim that Spanish is a language of heaven. Well, it, it might be the first uh, tongue, but <clears throat> I believe that we all retain our language, but we will be perfect in our memory and perfect in our hearing and perfect in our knowledge and understanding and tongue usage. And so I believe that we'll be able to easily learn, if not instantly understand, each other in the thousands of tongues and languages. And the complexity and beauty that that would create to worship, add to that the rhythms, the different cultures and harmonies, the different cultures, add to that the centuries, thousands of years of, of worship history, all directed to the glory of God, but bring with them different instrumentation, different chord structures. Add to that, angels. Like, if humans can sing like this, you know, we got Josh Sadden on. He's pretty good. I like the guy. But angels, you know, we're going, we're taking it to the next level here. And then add the dance. I am a Midwest white boy who ain't got no rhythm in this body, and I can't wait. You and I are going to bring it in heaven. We're going to bring it. We're going to bring bring it. it. We've got (laughs) lots of years of nothingness that we're ready to, yeah, I think just the outpouring, the tapestry of what that is. That's the word, tapestry. The the, the depth. And I I think that's such a beautiful image. It isn't God's going to just try to unify us into the oneness, that the beauty of the the family, of the tapestry, is the diversity. But our capacity to experience that and and to really take that in. And he's so committed to that tapestry that he has said, that he's not returning until there's people from every tribe and tongue and language and people. Revelation 5, Revelation 7 affirms this, that the glory of God is too great to be expressed through one culture alone. And so part of the beauty of heaven is that there will be representatives from every people group on earth. And that's why we're so committed to world missions and as Lex City and as a Christian Missionary Alliance, because we really believe that we're participating in this final day of Christ's return and heaven itself as we take the gospel to the still to be reached places of the world. Yeah. 
Will I be bored in heaven? Worship will be a big part of that. You know, Scripture also gives us some other things that we're going to be doing in heaven. I like this just as well. Uh, there'll be feasts. I think we're going to eat. And uh, you can't have a good worship service without a good potluck. And uh, we're going to get to experience that. Uh, the, the, in the, uh, Revelation speak of so many of the feasts that are calorie-free, guilt-free eating at the table. Uh, I think a beautiful time, but just the, the fellowship that goes there. I'm reminded a couple other things we see throughout. It does lead to one of the great theological questions. What's that one? Will there be Chick-fil-A in heaven? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> and is it not already there with the Jesus chicken? <laughs> just move on. Just All right, move I'll on. leave that one there. I, yeah, I'll leave it alone. All right, so, you know, the other there'll be this reunion of, of reuniting with loved ones and saints of old. I mean, you think about... The, the beauty for some of these men and women we've been able to read through scripture and see their faith lived out in heaven to be able to reunite, sit and have conversations. Uh, it will be so rich in so many ways that we, we don't even think about there. Um, and again, we, we see that. And, and then the last part is I think there'll be service in heaven. I think as you talk about this creative God, it won't just be standing and worshiping all the time. There will be acts of service that we bring back to the Lord for his glory in different times. Here's one that I'm maybe an outlier believing will happen, but Paul says to the Corinthians church, don't you know that you'll judge angels? What in the world does that mean? Yeah, you guys flesh just that did, out for us a You bit. just did a series on, or, you know, a, a thing on angels and demons. My theory is this. Those of us who have never seen the Christ, never experienced the supernatural in that kind of way, but came to believe in him and gave him our hearts and followed him all of our lives, will someday in heaven be the panel of judges who condemn the demonic forces, the fallen angels who had stood in the glory of God, rejected what they knew to be true, and we will say your judgment is just. So there is something of the carrying out of God's justice that I believe is part of our storyline. And I think you see that all the way through, especially in the book of Revelation, isn't at the end, God will make all things right. The God who sees all things, knows all things, rewards all things, and yet judges all things. Yeah, and we're a part of that. So I guess part of what we're sharing this as you're listening to today, <laughs> can we just burst that bubble that you're going to sit on a, a little cloud and, and play your harp? There are more amazing things to do and incredible things to do. And we can't even begin to comprehend, but I think heaven will be far Far from Can I add one more thing? I'll I'm keep looking on forward rolling. To? Yes, I am looking forward to intergalactic exploration. I am not exaggerating. I don't think I'm making this up. God has created billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies, and that's just to our human knowledge. Who knows how many there really are? There, there's enough galaxies for every human being who's ever lived to, to go explore one of their own. I, I, I. I can't wait to just be off on some intergalactic travel of exploration to see what did he create there. This is not Starship Enterprise kind of stuff. This is a God who's created a very vast universe, and we're just on one little pinhead of it. Beautiful pinhead, but can't one wait. One part to... of it. I'm telling you, sign me up, schedule me. I'll be going with Captain Stumbo to galaxies far away. But I think that is so true. There is so much to experience. Of, and maybe a way to for. serve him in that as well. I think there's something to that. Again, as we think about just the vastness of it, I, I think it fascinating that in the midst of all of that, Revelation chapter 21, then we get some very specific details where John has this vision uh, on what 
heaven could be in terms of size and logistics. The and, heavenly uh, city. The heavenly city, uh, this part of it. And so I, I just read this to you. I found this fascinating as you think about it. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. It's linked the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. It's length and width and height are equal. And he also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurements, which is also the angel's measurement. So we have this picture again, as wide as tall. It's a cube that we're seeing. Or a pyramid. Perhaps. Or a pyramid. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> All right, let's flesh that one out. You think I think about this idea of the cube or pyramid, whichever we have here along these things. If we think about that kind of a, a measurement of the city being of, of that size, it's interesting um, the only other times in the, in the temple, right? The Holy of Holies had these same kind of a cube, same height, same width. And in the Holy of Holies, only one could go once a year to be in the presence. But now in the Holy City, you know, all may come uh, who have that relationship with the Lord. And it, it's so fascinating. Just to give you a, an idea of the size of this, these kind of details always kind of uh, intrigued me a little bit. You're kind uh, of a numbers geek. I, well, and this kind of was. I, I needed to know that way I can be like your first officer when we uh, check these galaxies. You'll come. I'll be your Mr. Spock, right? So uh, Henry Morris, uh, founder of Institute of Creation Research, did some calculations on the New Jerusalem, and this was just interesting for me to ponder. Estimates again the total population of the world, past, present, and future, will be about uh, 100 billion people. Uh, for illustration purposes, 20% of them ultimately became residents of New Jerusalem. The city, uh, by these measurements, would be able to accommodate about 20 billion people. And if out of those 20 billion people, if we only resided in 25% of the space of the city, leaving 75% for whatever that would be, hills, parks, worship, whatever that would be in these areas, each residence would occupy a cubicle block of about 75 acres on each face of the cube. And uh, so, again, think about 75 acres. I mean, in Lexington, the average home size is about 2,100 square feet, 75 acres, high, low, wide. Uh, and I think if you think about just the perspective of that, and I, I mentioned high and width because I think the beauty of heaven in our heavenly bodies, we're not going to be similar to you, as you're saying. I don't think we're going to be limited by gravitational pull up, down, 360 as we go. That's an amazing uh, size that it would be. Uh, so in this cube, just an idea that the base with those measurements would be 2,500 square miles at its base, and it would be 780,000 stories high would be uh, just one of these cubes that is found. And so the point is only making in the mass size that it is. It will be big enough for all. And I think your thought is really an interesting one. That is the city. Heaven may not be limited simply to the city. Well, Heaven is the where God dwells. Heaven is his throne, and that picture is of the heavenly city. But when we think about our eternal destiny, I think we limit ourselves there. And the scripture also says, I'm going to recreate the earth, and he's going to make this planet new. And so I can't wait to see this planet that I love and that I wish we would take better care of. I can't wait to see this in its perfected, pre-fallen form. It's, it's a gorgeous thing that God created. So all of you who like adventure and love to explore new things, I, I think if nothing else today, take away the hope of it's going to be immense. It's going to be amazing. You will not run out of things to do. And heaven. by the way, uh, 
I don't know if you heard the story of uh, the guy that died and uh, took two suitcases with him up to heaven. And St. Peter met him at the gate. Why do we have St. Peter meeting at the gate? There's no biblical <laughs> basis for that, but it's the story. So this guy shows up in heaven with two suitcases, and Peter says, uh, this is highly irregular. We don't, we don't allow any contents from earth to, to come up here. We don't really need anything. And he said, no, 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 I, I really need this. I really need this. This is, I, I, this is very important. They're very important. And Peter argued with him and finally just said, okay, show me what you got. And the man with great pride opens up two cases completely filled with gold. And Peter says, pavement? Why did you bring pavement? That's so good. Perspective, is it not? Streets. Streets, yeah. An amazing thing that's there. Well, John, we've had some folks that have sent some questions. And that's why I'm glad you're here to help me answer some of these. And some of these we've talked a little bit about. But... uh, I wanted to maybe take just a few minutes and, and maybe talk about some of the things that, that folks ha- had mentioned. Um, answered the first one, which comes so often, you know, will heaven be boring? I think we're, we've answered that. You talked a little bit about this first part of, of no more pain and, and more, no more struggle and some of those. And so one of the questions was, what will happen to our disabilities when we're in heaven? Well, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, the scripture says. So what Christ's resurrected body was like uh, will be what our resurrected body will be like. He could pass through doors and just show up. He did still retain the scars. I'm curious about that one. Is that only the Christ who will retain the scars, or will there be something that we bring, not in a negative sense, but in a, this is part of my story. My story. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by that one. Yeah. I, the quote by uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, which uh, if you're familiar with her stories, paralyzed and she simply wrote this, I haven't been cheated out of being a complete person. I'm just going through 40-year delay, you know, and then in the presence, that, that hope of, of uh, healing there and be able to walk. I thought a great perspective. Um, Helen, Brent, yeah. Uh, some uh, listeners may know that I had a health crisis and went from being a long-distance runner to being confined to a wheelchair. And about 10 years later of all sorts of therapy and exercise and working, um, my daughter, who that I used to run with, was visiting with us and had her running shoes and shorts on and was going out to run one day. And I didn't have the capacity to do so. I was walking, grateful for that, but I had a twinge of envy in my heart that she was going to do something that I had come to love. And I had a little whisper come to my heart. Would it matter to you if you knew that you would get to do that again someday? Mm. Yes, Lord, that matters a lot. A lot of us have lost something that we once cherished or valued or enjoyed. It's only, as Johnny says, temporarily delayed. It's a great I will run again. You want to run too? Well, I, I don't think I can keep <laughs> push, up with you, but uh, I would love it. <laughs> but, you know, it is that eternal perspective. I, I think this is the power uh, why the teachings of heaven. Where 500 times scripture makes reference to heaven, this eternal state. There is a sense of perspective uh, that what I am experiencing now is temporary for something that is eternal. Uh, Fanny Crosby, 
uh, who was blind, pointed out this, when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever gladden my sight upon will be of my Savior. And she just has that perspective, man, in that moment, the first sight that I'll ever see. And that, that's a beautiful perspective there. So I think you're right on that disability. I think it's a fascinating question. Like you say, is Jesus returned with these scars? Will there be part of that? That is our story in a positive way. Um, we, we shall know. I think one of the clear things is that we'll be recognizable. One question commonly asked is, will I recognize my friends or family or, or other people? And biblical evidence is, uh, for example, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration right. and Moses and Elijah show up uh, in that mystical moment, well, they know it's Moses and Elijah. They're, they're recognizable. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, they, these are recognizable people with identities. And so, uh, yes, I don't think there will be any question. And, and I also wonder, there's kind of this image that everybody turns into their 23-year-old, you know, most athletic form. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? I think it came from guys like me that are hoping I'll have hair in heaven. That's my one hope. I'm going to have a We big... will see the glory of baldness, Brian. We will right. see the glory of that. I don't know. I don't know. But my point is this. Age is a human mm-hmm. temporal construct where God has not described anything else that I read in a monolithic manner. And so the baby became a 22-year-old and the 98-year-old became a 22-year-old. No, I think there's kind of this beauty of the perpetual childlikeness of the child who died young and the perpetual uh, agedness without creaks and joint pains and, you know, and uh, of those who died in a later stage. And if all of us are eternally young and wise inside, the physical manifestation <laughs> intrigues me. I, I think that may, we may carry with us the characteristics fully beautified. Fully beautified, yeah. Uh, in, in to heaven, so. Fascinating thought. That's theory. That's I like theory. It. I, like I don't it. have a Bible verse in that one. Well, let's speak of theory. Uh, let's talk pets. It's always <laughs> a question I get, right? We, we know uh, Scripture, especially Book of Revelation, we have the presence of animals uh, in heaven. But how about, big question, will my dog or will my cat be in heaven with me? Sparky, Butterscotch, and Murphy. Those are the three dogs that I had in my life. They all kind of had sad endings. And I have, I've actually wondered that myself. Heaven would be a beautiful moment if Sparky Butterscotch and Murphy came running up all at the same time in a lapping greeting. It'd be beautiful. But I'll say this. I don't know. There's no scripture verse we can point to. But I know this. There'll absolutely be no disappointment in heaven. There'll be no sense of it would have been a little better right. if God had done that. Yeah. So the answer is either yes, your pet will be in heaven, or God has something even better than that. But yeah, and I think it's the absence of disappointment that's such a great perspective. We're not the first pastor who's ever been asked this question. You know, Billy Graham was once asked uh, by a little girl that very question, you know, will my dog who died this week be in heaven? You can imagine the tenderness of that moment. And Dr. Graham simply replied, uh, if it would make you happier, 
then yes, he'll be there. This idea that there wouldn't be regret. If you're one that says, I'm sure animals will be in heaven and my pet, you're not in, uh, you've got good company. C.S. Lewis uh, had that opinion. It seems it's possible to me that he wrote, certainly the animals may have immortality, not in themselves, but in the immortality of their masters, this idea that those that are close and cherished to you. Um, but again, I think it's your point that's so good. It's the heaven doesn't have this void of what if it would have been better. And while I would love to see my three dogs in heaven, what I'm even more excited about is having positive encounters with every creature that God has created. Yeah. That from bears to Tyrannosaurus X or Rex or whatever, you know, and that that we can all beautifully coexist. And so I'll be very intrigued by those interactions. Yeah. Well, the beauty is, again, God was the creator of these wonderful creatures and pets and loves them dearly. And again, it will be as we return to what was in the garden prior to the fall. I mean, it will be an amazing time. So for all you animal lovers, uh, I think be encouraged. Your heart will be full uh, with which whatever whatever is there. A couple other questions that we have just in our time. Um, we'll come back to that one. We talked about that. Will we know, this idea of will we know our, our loved ones? Um, who are gone on before us? Will we have ongoing relationships with them? You hit on that a little bit, but just thought, just to come back to that one a little bit. Will we know folks in heaven? Not just those that we knew on earth, but we will have opportunity. You've already estimated billions and billions of people. That's a lot of relationships that we'll get to enjoy. And can I say one word for introverts? Yes, help me out, my fellow introverts. Introversion, I do not believe, is evidence of the fall. Although some extroverts might want to think that, you know. My staff may debate that sometimes, yes, but, yep. Mm -hmm. Now, how we respond to it, obviously, has some positive or negative. But here's my point. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. He chose an introverted path often, and introversion is one of the pathways towards intimacy with God. And so I also don't picture heaven being this nonstop song fest, people fest. You know, for the extroverts, great, but I think we retain some of our personality in its glorified form. All the brokenness of it, gone, but all the beauty of it. And there's beauty in introversion when taken in those kind of ways. I think you're right. I think there will be some times by the stream just you in the presence of God that's there. And, Brian, we have a secret name, according to Revelation, the letters to the churches, that only you and God know. And when you're out exploring one of those galaxies, Brian, and that name, that call comes across the, into your soul, nobody else knows that name. You're being beckoned into the presence of the king by the name that best defines you, by the, the name that, that pulls out all Ephesians 2.10 that you were created to be. And so there is an intimacy with God that's awaiting to us, evidenced by that name, that your, yours only name that nobody else knows but God himself. There's an intimacy, intimacy evidenced by that of a relationship that the Father wants to have with you. That's so good. Not really, I think, as you're hearing today, that really is the, the theme of heaven, is this intimacy of relationship. 
That's going to make this so beautiful. It's more than just worship songs. It's a relationship that's there, relationship with one another. Those that have gone before, again, I'm reminded as pastors, we share this so often at funerals. You know, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, by those who have fallen asleep or grieve, like those who have no hope. I mean, what's Paul's hope in that? The reality is we will know and see and get to experience relationship with those that have gone before. And so be encouraged for some of you uh, that really, even in those times of grief, um, the, the truth of that and intimacy with our Savior at levels we cannot even imagine. Well, John, we got a few others, but let me just kind of so we kind of wrap up our time today. Um, as we think about this, how would you encourage us? How does our heavenly perspective impact our life here on earth? How does this idea of setting our minds on the things above and not on the things of earth, how does this matter? Why was it worth it for us to take eight weeks as a church family and study these things? What hope can you give us there? Again, we do not believe that the world is just aimlessly spinning off into non-existence without meaning or purpose or design. Now, this world was created by God himself, and he has a plan to recreate it. There is a coming moment when Christ steps on the scene as our returning Christ. And there's a reason that the scripture calls that our blessed hope. We fundamentally, Brian, are people of hope. We believe that there is meaning and purpose, even in life's tragedies and pain. We believe that there is future and hope that there is something to truly look forward to. We believe that that we have the hope of salvation, that our names can be written in the book of life. We have this hope that Jesus has already gone before us, preparing a place for us. Brian, you're welcome to come to my house and visit, but you know, I have to tell you, I get tired of company after three days, so I'm just warning you. But Jesus invites us into his home forever, forever. This idea of we have the hope of an eternal place of all that we long for being fulfilled and all that is evil being judged appropriately. So there is a great accounting, a great settling, and a great rewarding to come. Without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Some of those rewards are here now, but most of those are still to come. Fantastic. And that is the hope of the new city, the new Jerusalem. And that's how... The scripture ends with that kind of hope and that kind of eternal purpose. So I hope today this is maybe again continued to help you think about things of above and not just live in the here and now. The wonderful promise as a follower of Jesus that we have of spending an eternity with him in a place that will be far from boring. You can join John and I on our spaceship as we see the galaxies together. No ship needed. <laughs> no ship needed. I can't even. <laughs> we're shipless. All right. Well, I'm telling you what, it's going to be an amazing blessing and an amazing time together. And we look forward to those that need to know the Lord to be able to do that together. Well, John, thanks for taking some time to help us think a little bit more about this wonderful promise of heaven. Bless you. Thanks again for joining us on Off the Record. We look forward to seeing you next time.